Oh. What time is it? Who woke me up? Hello, everyone. I am your host, Fast Big Dog, and thank you for joining us for part two in our series on three Nordic skiers who all concurrently made it to the UCI Mountain Bike World Cup this past season. My guest today is Evan Arthur. Like both our first guest, John Wesling, and our upcoming third guest, Carter Hall, Evan has strong roots in Nordic skiing and just wrapped up the Mountain Bike World Cup representing the United States of America in Snowshoe, West Virginia. Evan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. So let's start with some background on you. Uh, tell me about your background, both in sports and just in life in general. Yeah. Uh, first half of my life, I grew up in Southern California playing soccer. And then uh, we moved to the East Coast, and that's when I started skiing in sophomore year of high school and discovered the whole endurance world. And... Uh, yeah, skied through high school, and then I went to Colby up in Maine, and I ran there and started to bike, which is how I came to start discover mountain biking and end up doing this snowshoe race. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, as you know, uh, the backstory here was so interesting. We were all staying, to staying together down in snowshoe, and certainly having um, three people with such strong... Um, Nordic roots all make it onto the mountain bike world cup at the same time is obviously um, somewhat unusual. And I think it's sure. also pretty unconventional to have somebody who was involved at a pretty high level in running switch over to uh, cycling. So can you give us a little bit more background information? How did you leverage both your skiing and running background to get to the mountain bike world cup? Yeah, so uh, I moved to Williamstown, Mass., which is where Williams College is, which is a sometimes a pretty good ski school for Nordic skiing. And uh, we had a giant team, and it was just what everybody did at the school. And it was uh, I was just wanted to try it out, and then I discovered that I was pretty good at it. I couldn't; my technique was never great, but. Uh, I had a good aerobic endurance and it was fun just to like be in this giant group of kids. So I did that all through high school, but then I kind of realized pretty quickly that the kids I was going up against were a lot faster than I was at like the next level beyond just like the East coast. And that I was a bit more suited towards running just like body type wise and all that stuff. So chose to run in college, which was pretty fun. I definitely, I enjoy like trail running a lot more, like the adventure, which I think is why I got uh, into mountain biking. But long story short, I basically injured my knee running and couldn't do anything. So I picked up a bike, which I think is a pretty common story for a lot of bikers who come from running and then uh, fell in love with it and then just started doing it. And then we were sent home for COVID. And then that's when I found how to mountain bike and then just kind of stuck with it. And then uh, post-college, I moved to Bozeman. And then my best friend, Carter, who you're going to interview later, he was, like, chasing after it, going to all the pro races. And I was like, might as well just join him and do this. And then one thing led to another. So now I'm doing all these big races with him, which is pretty fun. Yeah, it really is such an amazing story uh, just across the board. Um you know, all of you guys had very interesting and diverse background, and yet you had this common through line of skiing. And then to all be staying down there together, the the whole experience was just pretty surreal. Um, for, I mean, even for me, I'm sure for you guys, you know, it, it's one of those things I think at the time you're probably caught up in the moment, and understandably so, you're focused on success, the task at hand. But the backstory is just, it's a fascinating one. So let's go into a little bit more depth on that, because I know... A lot of people, I mean, almost every, whether you're high school, I just came back from a high school practice all the way up to the elite level in skiing, certainly trail running, mountain biking, road riding, 
are all an integral part of your program, and I think that's one of the things that make ski training so unique. What would you, but as someone who's, you know, sometimes you'll have skiers who go out and run, you know, a random 10K or a marathon or something there, but um, it's somewhat unique, I think, to see people at the highest level in all three of those sports. So what would you say the biggest difference is, in certainly in high-level training, between skiing, Nordic skiing, cycling, and running? Uh I think cycling is the one that's the most, besides like the technical skills that are acquired for mountain biking, which is like completely different from anything else you do for running or Nordic skiing. Like Nordic skiing, you have technique, but it's something that you do like constantly. Like it's necessary to have good technique to ski fast, but for mountain biking, you could kind of like fake it a little bit, but like there's just some things that you simply have to get down and like that requires skill. But aside from that, cycling, like, you can just bike, and almost every cyclist just bikes, and it's very, like, a concentrated thing. Like, this past season, I didn't run for, like, eight months, and I didn't really notice any, like, disadvantage from not running, even though, like, I love running. It's just, like, you don't necessarily need to do it. While for, like, skiing, you kind of do everything, which makes it pretty fun, and why I think, like, skiers are the most suited to be able to like go into a different sport if they choose to just because they're so well-rounded like i don't think a cyclist can really go and try to become a nordic skier later in life Mm -hmm. that'd be pretty hard for them and then yeah and then running like your volume is pretty limited just because of like the impact like it's pretty hard to go run 20 hours a week while on the bike like that's fairly commonplace for the top level guys Mm mm-hmm which of the different sports would you say uh, the training is the hardest? And I don't mean like necessarily intensity because everyone's training hard, but just whether, you know, is wear and tear on your body, you know, the mental, you know, aspect of, you know, repetitive motion, you know, which everything has to some yeah. degree, but obviously you I have think... a lot more variety uh, yeah. in mountain biking. So what would you say overall uh, sort of total cost of ownership of of the three, um, what's the hardest? I would say running, probably. I've always, running races have been when I've been in the most pain. <laughs> and in ski races and bike races, you could kind of stop and you keep moving a little bit. Even if on skis, like, it's not a ton. And, like, obviously you start biking uphill, like, you're going to stop. But running, like, if you don't put any energy into it, you don't go anywhere. Like, there's no gliding in, in running. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's probably the hardest because, like, you can kill yourself in any of them. Like you can push super hard, but yeah, I think running the combination of the impact plus just for whatever reason, like running on the track for me is just like death. Like if it hurts so much and even if it's just like a 400 or something, like it's the most concentrated level of like exertion that I've ever felt, which is probably why I don't enjoy it that much. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that I, I follow a, a track coach uh, online and, he he does a good job with casual questions with his athletes and so he had a he was polling everyone on the on the track team i think he did track, tracking cross, cross country as to the hardest race within athletics and across the board everybody answered either the 400 or the 800 yeah yeah it's just it's in that sweet spot of like you basically have to sprint the whole time but it's a really really long sprint <laughs> that's right so. that's right what would you yeah. say is, is the best part of each of those three sports? Uh, running, for sure. The exploration, like, you can go, especially now, like, when I go run, it's almost always exclusively, like, a trail run, especially here in Utah or in Montana. Like, you just get to go, like, bag some peaks, and it's super fun. It's like an adventure. Skiing is definitely, when you get the technique down, especially skating, like, it just feels so good. Like, the ability to feel like you're moving efficiently like through the landscape that's super nice it's also just really pretty and then mountain biking i think like just being it's kind of similar to skiing but it's a bit more like tackling features that you haven't been able to previously do like that feeling of like kind of you're a little scared but you just have like a ton of adrenaline that's really addicting and Mm -hmm. it's really satisfying to like conquer things that you see on course or that you see outside and kind of like level up your skills is really fun. Mm-hmm. What's the worst part of, about each sport? Uh, skiing is probably 
if you're tired, it really hurts. The technique is like, it's definitely, uh, if you're not really experienced, it can fall apart pretty quickly. And then you're just out there slogging. I think running, I've had a lot of instances of just like my body kind of breaks down and then I have to take time off just like either knees or just like muscularly. I did a ultra last summer and half of it was running and half of it was me just like limping towards the finish line. Cause like my legs just completely gave out. And then, uh, mountain biking, I'd say probably crashing is the worst part, which like, obviously I'm never trying to crash, but if you're pushing yourself and trying to get better, it's almost inevitable that you're going to crash. And then you just got to learn how to crash safely, I guess, or crash better, <laughs> but it's just kind of part of it. I've got a lot of random scars on my body from just like messing up little features. You know, I knew these interviews were, were going to be good is after that first night down in West Virginia, just talking with you guys. Wesling, uh, even though he's a complete moron when you talk to him in person, he had some great quotes. And I think my favorite one was he was talking about hope doping as yeah. the biggest mistake that amateurs make. And then I love uh, your assessment right there or your phrase you need to learn how to crash better. You know, I yeah, think that's that, sure. that's that's applicable. I mean, there is a lot to be said for that in uh, uh, mountain bike racing, but certainly Nordic racing as well. Staying out of trouble, keeping people off oh, yeah. the poles. You know, so definitely, I like that crash better. Um, yeah. So you had not one but two pivots into different sports, and you were able to make it to the high level both times. You know, as we discussed earlier, both of these outcomes are somewhat unusual. What made motivated you? I know you, you said injuries played a role, at least in one of those transitions, but what else really drove you instead of just, you know, taking time off, doing rehab, you know, waiting it out type thing? What motivated you to make these changes? And why do you think you were able to be successful in two pretty different sports? Both times you made that pivot. Uh, I think, like, at the base level, I'm at some level genetically gifted to do endurance sports just like i'm pretty i'm like tall and really skinny and that tends to help uh, it's just like a good baseline for doing this stuff so i definitely feel like i have a little bit of a head start just from that but then uh i think i went i like have been kind of funneled into the thing that's the most pure fitness based other than the skills part which, like, Nordic seeing, you need to have really good technique, and, like, it's a quite, like, uh, it's a strength as well as an aerobic sport. Like, you need to be a strong skier. And then running, like, you need to be a really efficient runner. Like, you're, like, you, that's why the Kenyans, like, their, the ratio of, like, their calves to their thighs and stuff, like, makes them metabolically efficient at running. Well, on the bike, your efficiency is through the bike, like, it takes away that component of it. Like it's not a, like a physical thing. It's just like your engine. You just have to be the engine on the bike, which I think I'm quite good at because as a trail runner, I'm pretty good, but like um, always have to be a lot fitter than the people I'm racing against just because they're always more efficient than I am. So I think that funneling into like the pure, the most like fitness-based sport has helped me as well as just like, I like to compete. I like to race against people when it's uh, something I find a lot of enjoyment from. And I like having the structure in my life of training. I can't really imagine my life without it. So, yeah. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that or described that the way you do it because oftentimes you hear running described as the most fitness-based uh, activity oh, no. and you know it's funny I was I was training with uh, some of the Nordic combined guys last summer and we were doing intervals on the track which as you very aptly described earlier uh, is miserable and we got done and one of the guys Jasper Good had a great quote he said run fitness is real fitness and you know I agree with that everything you said about I think you can carry momentum uh, you can fake it a little bit more in the other two but I've always considered run fitness, real fitness. So you yeah. think that the, you would actually list mountain biking as being the most kind of pure fitness-based. Yeah, if you separate the, the skills part from just like how much power you can produce, because 
almost always like on the cross country team at Colby, there was kids that I could smoke if we did like an uphill time trial, just like up a hill. But if we had to do like mile repeats on the track, they would smoke me just because like leg speed and stuff, they're faster than I am. Mm-hmm. But like, if it's just like a VO two max test up a hill, like I can beat them in that. So when you remove the efficiency of running, I'm usually a bit better. Hmm. Do you know what your VO two max is? Uh, I know what it's like modeled to be, but I don't know how like accurate that is, mm-hmm. but it's modeled to be like 78 or 79. Is that from like one of the Garmin things? It's from like, uh, it's called WK05, which is like a more advanced version of training peaks. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar with it. So, hmm. um, out of the three guys that are part of this feature, you're the youngest of the three. So your uh, perspective is probably the most relatable to that uh, for all the younger athletes listening, you know, high school, college. So what advice do you have for everyone sort of at that, I don't want to say early stage in their career because that's a relative statement, but certainly for younger athletes um, when uh, they're kind of making that next step, whether looking to transition into uh, college uh, going pro, um, staying within a sport, changing sports, just what's, what advice would you give someone, you know, in your situation who's in high school right now, a good skier, but maybe not great, kind of pondering what they want to do next? Yeah, I would say in order to like be successful, you have to be consistent in your training and to be consistent, it has to be like a sustainable integrated part of your lifestyle. And that means that you like, in order for it to be sustainable, it has to be something that is easy for you to do. Like you need to be able to, if you need to, in order to be successful, you need to do, if you need, if you want to be successful and that means like going to the gym every week or something, like make sure you have gym equipment or like, for me, I know I hate training inside in the winter. Like it just doesn't work. I just won't train. And then I'm just not fast in the spring. So like, even though it's an extreme solution, my solution is like, go down to Arizona for the winter so I can train outside. And there's little stuff like that, that if you're able to make it sustainable, it's then enjoyable and then you're consistent and then you'll actually like see improvement because I struggled a lot when I was like younger. I uh, had like bursts of motivation where like I would train a ton, be super good and like see boosts. But then like it would start raining or like it would be cold or I had like midterms or something and then like wouldn't train for a whole week or would train like two hours and then all the gains I would see just like kind of go away and it would just be like this cyclical pattern where like I just kind of plateau a bit mm-hmm. but I also think like having a coach is nice because it's kind of a built-in form of accountability where if you have it on training peaks and it tells you to do this thing like you're more likely to, to do it than if it's just you coming up with it yourself but uh yeah, I think sustainability is definitely key, at mm-hmm. least for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I would agree with all that. So you obviously had a lot of success and really at a, at a fairly young age as well. But there have been you know, advancements in nutrition, training, a whole bunch of other things. Plus, I think after you've been doing this for a while, you just learn more about your body and understand what works for you better. So if I could take you back five years or ten years and – you had to do it all over again. What would you do differently? Uh, if I knew I was going to be mountain biking, I would probably not go to college in Maine just because <laughs> it's, it's pretty cold up there. Yep. It's, gr- it's great for skiing, but I just remember spending a lot of days uh, riding the trainer in my little dorm room, and like that didn't really last that long. It wasn't, wasn't that good or sustainable. So that's like a pretty easy thing. But like in terms of training itself, I think I had a coach for running, which like was just through the college and that was fine. But I think like getting realizing, like I wish I chose mountain biking earlier if that was an option. But like, obviously I'm very glad that I skied and bike and ran. Cause I just think it makes you a bit more of a robust athlete when it comes to biking. Cause 
often the people who are biking as juniors aren't the people that end up being the top pros later on in life. So maybe it's a blessing in disguise. But mm. uh, yeah, I think, I guess just being more consistent when I was younger, finding like earlier a group of people that I would be able to train with just because like if you have people to train with, that makes it a lot better. Just because this past year has been really nice having when you surround yourself with people who are faster than you, it kind of becomes normal place to see them achieve like these high results. And then you just think like, if I train with them every day, why couldn't I do that? And that's really powerful, at least for me, just to be able to be surrounded by the things that you're striving to do. So it's funny that you say that I just saw uh, one of our competitors, Jens Voigt uh, had a podcast that I saw this morning where he was interviewing one of the top Dutch cyclists, and interestingly enough, uh, he, he said the exact same thing about Again. how you grow up with these guys, and then all of a sudden, one day, one of them beats you, and you're thinking, that's no good, you know? I'm better than that guy. <laughs> yeah. I used to beat him. And the next time you go out, you make sure he you beat him, and then he's probably thinking the same thing. You know, Jens' yeah. question was centered around uh, how come um, you know the Dutch have had so much success in cycling, and he attributed the success, certainly one factor, uh, is exactly what you just mentioned. So that that's really easy, uh, really interesting yeah. uh, that you bring up yeah. that exact same thing. No, like uh, Carter and I went to college together, and um, after ski season, we would go and do like these crits in a, like a truck, like a truck parking lot area. And it was just a bunch against like a bunch against against a bunch of thirty year olds. And we would sweep it up and get, like, money to go buy donuts. But we've gone from doing, like, parking lot crits, and we've just, like, competed with and against each other up to, like, World Cups, which has been pretty cool. So, yeah. yeah. I did a few parking lot crits back in my day. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Uh, what about for, really, athletes at any stage of the career? A lot of our listeners are uh, college guys, uh, masters, you know, racing the Berkey, racing the local – speaking of parking lot crits, going out and banging the local race series. And a lot of times life gets in the way. So what advice do you have for athletes at all stages of their career when they hit a rough patch in training and really racing especially? And like training advice or just like general? Either one. You you know, someone calls you, one one of your buddies, and things aren't going so good. They're putting in time, but, you know, not seeing results. You can tell they're frustrated. What what do you recommend? What, What advice do you have for them? Yeah, I think looking at just, like, general intensity distribution is usually a pretty good place to start just to make sure that you're hitting, like, your VO2s, you're having your easy days. But I think, like, a big thing for people who, like, work a regular job is you go out and you hammer, like, a five-hour ride and a four-hour ride on the weekend, and then you do, like, nothing for the whole week, which I don't believe is as... Of like effective as just like spreading out your time throughout the week and just like having small consistent stuff that you do like every day I think that's a lot more effective and you'll see a lot more gains from that just from the consistency of doing a little bit each day instead of a lot once and then not and then like tapering off throughout the week and then in terms of like specifically mountain bike racing your equipment matters a lot I know that we did Leadville this year and like a difference between your tires, which like you can't really feel is like a couple minutes, which is like, why not take a couple minutes? It's like free speed. So stuff like that really helps. And then also just like knowing the course, pre-writing features, stuff like that, which is a bit more mountain bike specific, but mm-hmm. I guess can be applied to Nordic scene as well. And like a trail run. If you know, there's like a technical descent, you probably want to see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's interesting that you mentioned Leadville, too, because, you know, when you stayed here at my house um, before the race that both you and Wesling absolutely crushed, uh, I saw firsthand that uh, you were on the the high-carb pre-race plan that Wesling talked about in his last podcast. But I also noticed that you... That's good advice. What's that? That's good advice. Well, you know, I'm, I'm carbs before you race. Yeah, right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna come to that. I mean, I'm give I'm gonna give you a chance to give an even broader perspective, because you had the added twist that 
you're also vegetarian. So talk a little bit about your approach to nutrition, both in training and racing, uh, in terms of, uh, let's hit the biggies, you know, uh, carbs, protein, and fats. How do you try and distribute that? What's your training cycle look like versus your racing cycle? Don't have to go crazy, but, you know, give us, give us some details because I think a lot of that, there's a lot of emerging research that I think shows a fair amount of promise. And I think there's a lot of applicability in terms of the crossover between, um, you know, mountain bike racing. Like you guys were in the saddle for seven hours in Leadville, and that would probably be a pretty long Berkey, but there's certainly a lot of people out there who will be yeah. cranking out three, four, five-hour uh, Berkebiners. So talk a little bit about how you approach all of that. Yeah. Well, I've been vegetarian my whole life, so, like, I don't really – I can't really talk on, like, meat versus not meat sort of stuff just because, like, I've never experienced the other side. But in terms of, like, race nutrition, it's pretty easy. Like, I have drink mix and a gel each hour pretty much – for any race I do and in the drink mix is 90 grams of carbs per bottle and then the gel is 30 grams so in an ideal world I'm having 120 grams per hour which I think is about the max that I could do like I've never had like gut distress or anything from eating a lot but I haven't really felt better if I eat more than that Mm -hmm. but if I don't eat that much like I definitely can feel not as strong like it's pretty crazy how especially like in all these long races it's like you have to make the lead group or the group that you're trying to make but and then often like it comes down to the last climb or the second to last climb a couple hours in and by having those carbs it's pretty crazy how much more power how much faster you can go on that last climb versus not being properly fueled Mm -hmm. and then uh in terms of like outside of racing like Two days before the race, I eat a lot of carbs. I forget the exact, but I think it was like six to 800 grams for two days before the race for me personally, just based on my body weight, which feels like a lot of food. But, which, uh, which is what? How much do you weigh? I'm like 142. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a lot of food. But, and like you, you start to worry like, oh, am I eating too much? I'm going to be so fat for a race day. But then you just feel so much better. Like I had one race this year that I didn't do that. And I just was absolutely dead like 90 minutes into the race. And it was just like praying for it to be over. And then <laughs> next, next week I had like uh, another race. And it was like one of the best races of my life. And it was like obviously my fitness didn't change week to week. It was just like I fueled correctly before and during the race. Mm-hmm. So one of the other things that you mentioned earlier, I want to circle back to because I think it was maybe a different answer than people might expect, but a, a fascinating one, just the same, you know, as someone who's raced both mountain biking and Nordic skiing, there's, I would say, a, certainly a very strong technical aspect to both of the sports. So, you know, on one hand, both require excellent balance and coordination, but they're also very different for obvious reasons. Um, And that one is, you know, you're trying to execute, oh, I don't know, six or seven different techniques, I guess, when you add everything up. But, you know, for the most part, there are races where you might be doing 90% V2. And so it's just a matter of being technically proficient as opposed to especially the World Cup in Snowshoe. I mean, there were some incredibly technical sections there. Yeah. So um, c- certainly overall balance, body control um, are applicable in both, but they're being applied very differently. Do you, As someone who is at a very high level in both, do you feel like being good in one helps you in the other? And do you think those skills go both ways? Uh, yeah, I think so. For... The mountain bike, I would say the skills are a bit more discreet. Like, it's can I go over this drop or can I, like, ride this rock garden? Well, like, on the uphills, you don't need to really be that skilled to, like, like, you just need to be able to ride a bike, which I'm assuming almost all skiers can do. And it's just, like, a matter of how much power can you put out because usually the climbs are, like, pretty non-technical and then the descents are technical. While skiing, like, 
you need to have good technique the whole time or else you're just like expending energy unnecessarily. And I'm sure they translate somewhat, but I want to say they cross over a ton. Although I do have to say from like personal experience, most of the pro skiers I've biked with are pretty good bikers. And at least the bikers that I bike with are pretty good skiers. So there might be something just like innate coordination and stuff that helps skiers uh, develop the skills faster and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my uh, experience has been similar, except I know a lot of good mountain bikers who are terrible skiers. So it sounds like yeah, you, you've, I got, won't, yeah. you've got more. Coordin- I, I hang out with a lot of skier uh, bikers, as you know. But uh, yeah, I can imagine some of the cyclists are like, I've seen some of the cyclists like try to run and stuff, and it's pretty hard to watch. Yeah, yeah, there's a, that's another good one. Running, and that's why I had those crossover questions early on, because I know some pretty good cyclists who have been terrible runners. So. Yeah, yeah. It definitely doesn't go both ways. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think I know any stories of professional cyclists who turn into pro runners. But I know a couple of pro runners that have like gone to the World Tour and done the Tour de France and stuff like that. Okay. So there you go. Um, On the drive from Snowshoe uh, up to the airport in Pittsburgh, you and I had a lot of quality time about um, a whole variety of topics. But one of the things that I think was the most interesting, certainly uh, from my perspective, working with younger athletes as a coach and mentor, we spent a lot of time talking about balancing training at an elite level and working, you know, a quote unquote real job. you mentioned earlier that you you can train 20 or more hours a week or that you do not you know you were talking about it as a pair to you know compared to running and that's obviously similar volume to what a lot of skiers are putting in um, but I'd love to hear your thoughts I feel like you're very very uh, uniquely qualified or well qualified to discuss um, how you balance working you know again you've got a, a good job and maybe it's not a 40 hour week job but you're certainly, um, you know, not taking three-hour naps in between sessions and watching cartoons. And I know for a lot of skiers in college, talking about going to the next level or weighing their options, that's something that people are worried that either they're not going to have the option, you know, they, they need money to eat, mm-hmm. you know, so that yeah. not working isn't even, and they think that precludes being able to train at elite level. So I'd like to hear your thoughts as to, how you balance those two and how in some cases you actually think the two uh, can work synergistically and actually be a beneficial combination. Yeah. Like, well, the first thing is is that like, I'm not making enough money to offer mountain biking to live. So I need a job firsthand, but also like if I didn't need the, like, even if I didn't need the job, it's pretty nice to have the balance. And I know just from, uh, secondhand accounts like kids who do PG years who don't take classes like are almost always slower than kids who do take classes just because if your whole life is that sport and you don't have any outlet like uh, you start to really focus and get obsessed with like a poor result or something and you're not able to like disconnect from it and move on which is what the job allows and then obviously every job is pretty specific for me I studied computer science in college so I have a data science job that's remote, which makes it a lot easier just because it takes out a commute, which is an extra like two hours or something that I have in my day, as well as like they're really supportive supportive of like the cycling and they like me. Send I send them pictures every week of training and stuff and they are super interested and are excited about it. And they've been like very explicit that I don't have to work quote unquote like normal banking hours just because a lot of my work is pretty independent. So I think finding a situation that works well for you, obviously not all jobs can be remote, but hopefully a lot of them can be. And then even if you have to still go in an office, I think there's a lot of ways to make it work. You know, it's, it's interesting that you say that. I uh, was at World Championships in Nordic skiing in 2017 with the U.S. ski team, and uh, Keegan Randall had just returned after having a baby, and I remember Keegan and I talking one day at the dining hall, and she said the exact same thing, that she felt like even though it was very uh, time-intensive and 
you know, stressful and adds a whole, another whole dimension in terms of worry and complexity and just, you know, simple stuff like you're packing for two people now instead of one and food and all those other things. She felt like um, having the, I don't want to say the distraction because that, that sounds uh, maybe not giving it the situation, the, the, the weight that it deserves, but having something else going on besides just skiing. You know, she said yeah. she felt actually made skiing, uh, you know, more fun, better. So, you know, it's certainly interesting to hear that because I think there's certainly a sense from a lot of people that you just don't have time to do both. Yeah, you can definitely, like, if your job is like a construction worker or something, like, obviously it'd be a bit harder and your job would probably take away from your training. But for like a normal desk job, especially if it's remote, I don't think it. I feel like personally for me, it helps, but obviously every single job is different. And then even if you were professional, like fully supported and you didn't need to work a job, I still think you would be faster if you had some sort of outlet or hobby that was completely separate from your sport, just because it's good to be a balanced person in general, as well as your sport's not going to last forever. So it's good to develop the things that you want to do that aren't dependent upon your fitness just because like I always think which like knock on wood like if for some reason I get in a big accident like I can't bike or exercise anymore that kind of scares me quite a bit just because it's such a big part of my identity that, that it motivates me to find other things in life that I enjoy almost as much if not as much as cycling and just outdoor recreation mm-hmm. that sounds like a really good perspective um, let me kind of circle back to something else that you brought up earlier. Um, I think when the average person thinks of team sports, they think about sports like football, basketball, who knows, maybe mm-hmm. even rowing. But Nordic skiing, while most certainly is an individual sport, definitely has a strong team component, both in terms of results, you know, if you're scoring high school races or college races, but also in terms of hours and hours, you know, training together as a team, traveling as a team living together at races, training camps. And for the most part, I sort of see that same type dynamic in college running, certainly. And it seems as though there's less of that in mountain biking at the World Cup level. Um, You mentioned that you have a good training group or at least one or two other people. Um, Since you had such a strong background in these more team-oriented endurance sports, how is it different? not having, you know, a, a training camp, for example, or, um, you know, a big training group. You, you mentioned earlier going out and doing hill repeats. How, how are you finding that, uh, that balance uh, for your training? Yeah, I know in high school and college, like, even though performance was, like, the main goal, like, a big secondary goal was, like, having fun and, like, developing the team and all that and it was more like you just kind of follow along with what the team does like there wasn't specific prescription of individual workouts for different people like it was pretty everyone's going to do this today and you all do it together and like you mess around when you run to like on your warm-up and it's like a very fun team camaraderie while like now like everyone's individually coached in biking and it's a very like uh, it's a very individual sport when it comes down to it just because in road cycling, it's completely different. But in mountain biking, like even if I wanted to help John or Carter in a race, like I, I couldn't really do anything for them just because like drafting is not really that big of a deal. And like maybe I'll give them a bottle or something, but there's nothing I can really do to help them. But for sure, training together is really nice, both to like push each other just because if John or Carter are faster than me going downhill, I'm going to get faster trying to chase them. But uh, in terms of like the actual training, I think it's a lot more efficient and just like a lot more individual where we can go out and like kind of do like a ride together. But often it's pretty hard to ride together just because everyone has like their own schedule and workouts and stuff that's specific to them, which is like, makes sense everyone's different and needs different things at different points so yeah you just have to be a little bit more like internally motivated as well just because 
you don't get to like hang out with a bunch of group of friends every day for training. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest thing that you miss about Nordic skiing? Uh, I think you're being a bit more of like a round athlete. Like cycling is a very, you need a very narrow skill set for it. Like obviously skills aside, which like is relatively still relatively narrow. Like you just need to have like put out the watts and go down the hills fast. Mm-hmm. While skiing, like you need a strong upper body, you need a strong core, you need to be able to do technique, you need to be able to do classic and skate, you need to be able to do like everything from like a three minute sprint to like a couple hour fifty k. Like it's you have to just be such a better more rounded athlete which is like a bit more fun to me honestly but i'm a bit better at cycling so that's what i do yeah yeah that's fair <laughs> and I, I think you know and that's that's part of the process too and we touched on that a little bit earlier and i think part of it is identifying what sport especially when you get to a really high level you can fake it for a while if you just have a ton of skill or a ton of power or whatever but when you really talk about getting to the elite level I think it's smart to look at what sport really takes advantage of your physiological yeah. uh, advantages. Like, what are you yeah. genetically predisposed to in terms of distances, as well as, in, you know, you mentioned a body type uh, that certainly, I mean, there's a reason you don't see 210 pound Tour yeah. de France guys. You know? Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, I feel like almost any skier or cyclist or runner. If they had the op- if they were just like able to magically switch to being the best soccer or NBA player in the world, they would probably choose that just because like it's just like the biggest sport in the world and it's just like bigger audience and all that. But I think ultimately you have the most fun in the thing that you're best at, which mm-hmm. for me has turned into mountain biking, mm-hmm. which it's just nice that I also really enjoy it as well mm-hmm. outside of competition. So. Well, you know, it's, I'm glad that you brought up fun, and you know that's something that we talk about on, you know, when I was working with the ski team, the U.S. team, and then certainly in the steamboat team. And I get the sense in talking with people that perhaps the only people weirder than Nordic skiers are distance runners. I'm sure you know. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you know Logan Diekman, right, from BSF team. Yeah. So his wife uh, or fiance, I forget which, Grayson Grayson, um, mm-hmm. also an elite runner. We were at dinner one night. Mexican place in Bozeman, and she confirmed this uh, very wholeheartedly. Would you agree with that assessment? Oh, yeah. Distance runners are very kooky, especially as you get out of college and stuff. Like, they're, uh, like, especially, like, ultra people. Like, marathon runners are a bit more normal, but, like, you get people who do, like, the UTMB or, like, Western States and stuff like that. They get very granola, earthy, crunchy as well as just, like, the training that they do is pretty crazy. They're very quirky individuals, just because you have to be pretty special or a little messed up to want to go do those. Yeah, I pit crewed for someone at Run Rabbit Run here at Steamboat, and I had my hands full, like, jogging down at whatever it was, 11 o'clock at night, and I ran with him yeah. for, I don't even know what, a half an hour, and he was back off to do it for eight more hours. So it, it without yeah. a doubt, it takes a special type of person to be able to do that. Yeah, that's not me. That's too long. But you don't ever see that any of that in your future. Uh, maybe later, but for now, like seven hours is about the max that I want to spend in a race. Just because, like, I enjoy the actual racing part of racing. Like, the more like dynamic a course is, where you get to, it's not just like even though I enjoy like long climbs and where it's like pretty fitness based, it's a lot more fun when you also have to be like a smart racer and when the course is a bit more, a little less selective, it makes it a lot more fun for me just cause it's like, it's just more entertaining when you get to race with people instead of just everyone spread out by like 30 seconds and everyone's just like in their own little pain cave trying doing like a little mini time trial. Right. Right. All right, so we've already established that distance runners are the strangest. What, what about yeah. who's got who's got the best game with the ladies between the runners, skiers, and the mountain bikers? Definitely skiers. You think? Yeah. Well, skiers just have the best physique because, like, biking. 
like up to like an extreme point, like the lighter you get, the faster you're going to be. So the physique you end up with is not the most like particularly attractive. Well, skiing, you have to be like a well-rounded guy. Like if you see any of the Norwegians with their shirt off, like they're all pretty jacked, which I think it definitely helps compared to a shirtless Chris Froome. (laughs) So... (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, you know what? There's a technical term for that. I didn't realize. I just learned this this morning on um, uh, the the podcast. That was the um, Jens Voigt uh, yeah. podcast. Apparently, it's known in the European, the pro peloton, as uh, baby bird arms. That's what. That's actually yeah. the official technical term. I didn't know that. Yeah, the, the arms get skinny, and then you get the crazy tans from the jerseys. Oh yeah. So like, you just. It's it's quite a it's quite a look. Yeah, yeah you're swimming upstream without a doubt. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't voluntarily choose this physique if it wasn't the fastest. If it wasn't given to you, yeah. So speaking of yeah. weird, you and I both have had the very unique and surreal experience of living with Wesley, and yeah. now after this recent trip to West Virginia, uh, you and I also room together. So um, Nordic combined athlete Taylor Fletcher, um, former time Olympian, uh, race World Cups forever. Once described me, and I'm, I'm quoting to Zach uh, directly, is the best roommate ever. So I think we can all agree on that. But let's talk about Wesley. Would you say is he? Would you say he's the worst roommate you could ever possibly have in sports? Uh, I don't think so. He's very clean. He oh. cleans up the kitchen every night. Super okay. nice. He's very. Uh, he definitely gets in his head a little bit about things like. If he thinks his cassette is like a little worn out, he'll like go out and spend the five hundred dollars on a new cassette, like sight unseen, mm-hmm. and is very. Uh, once he has an idea of like something that he should change or do, like it starts like kind of picking up steam in his head, and he starts <laughs> like talking about it more, and then eventually like he does it. And it's pretty funny, but uh, it's super nice to live with him just because like it's a built-in training partner. He has a lot of experience in a lot of different sports. So, Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We talked a lot about that on, on the podcast. Yeah, when he was staying here, when he was uh, doing his altitude prep for uh, Nationals a couple years back, he would spend about 90 minutes every morning. Well, we, we both would, describing his workout for the day. It was awesome. Yeah. He, he was here for a month. Yeah. It was probably the funnest month I've ever had. So yeah. last, last thing, you really, uh, and I'll let you go, and I really appreciate you spending time with us today. This has been incredibly insightful especially for younger athletes i think they're going to really appreciate that um older ones as well but you have a lot of stuff that i think is very very relevant to uh the younger generation of skiers so you've accomplished a tremendous amount in a relatively short period of time mountain bike racing and as we noted earlier you're you're still pretty young what's next for you how do you see your emphasis next year and moving forward yeah i think nationally I'm going to do the ones that I'm best at or just naturally suited towards, which have turned out to be like the longer Leadville type efforts. So I think next year there's going to be a big focus on like marathon mountain bike racing. I'm going to try some of the gravel races. I'm hoping to go over to Europe in June and do some of the UCI gravel and uh, marathon mountain bike world cups. And then the end, like it's hard for me to, see the goal of like what I want to do with it just because it's been I've been doing it like this is my first full season of mountain biking so I've seen a lot of improvement just from this year so it's hard for me to predict like where I'm going to be next year but the end goal is just to be able to like compete for the win at these big national level races and then like dip my toe in some of the European races and like see what it's all about just because Cycling is a really big sport where there's so many different types of cycling that it's really easy to specialize. And I'm trying to keep it as broad as possible right now just because I don't quite know which one I like the best and which one I'm best at. So just going to try to do a bunch of different events, see what I like the most and try to perform my best, get faster, train a lot. That, that, That sounds great. So... Obviously, this is a Nordic-focused publication, and I'd say the the majority of the people listening to this are Nordic skiers, or at least have skied a little bit. So 
you know, you're always, I think, particularly proud when you see one of your own make it to the big stage and be so successful. And it was such and just an honor and a privilege. I mean, I've been, I can't even count how many different World Cups I've been to in different sports. And, you know, it's always exciting seeing the best athletes. I don't care if you're talking about rowing, mountain biking, cross-country, biathlon, uh, Nordic combined, and, you know, any, all, the, all the sports are great. They all have their pluses and minuses. But to see you and JR and Carter, you know, all of whom have such strong ties to skiing and to make it to the World Cup and to, to get there so fast and to do so well, just on behalf of the entire Nordic ski community, it was just so exciting to see. And I think everyone is so happy for you and so proud of everything that you've accomplished. It's it's just been, it's a, it's a remarkable story. It really is. And the fact that all three of you were all staying together and everyone just kind of converged at this point in time together is just, you know, I felt like we had to, I felt like we had to talk about it. So I really appreciate yeah. you coming on the show, sharing your thoughts. And obviously uh, we wish you all the best and looking forward to being out there, uh, you know, with you, whether it's on the trails, biking, skiing, running, um, but it's your achievements have been, you know, incredible already in the, I think, you know, just beginnings of what looks like it's going to be a really, really promising year. So just want to say on behalf of every uh, world or of every Nordic skier out there, congratulations. And um, yeah, you've done, you. done a phenomenal amount in just a, you know, a really very, very relatively short period of time. So congratulations again. Thank you. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. All right. Well, you're the man. Keep my boy Westling in line, and uh, we'll let's we'll have to get together for a ski one of these days. I think you'll you'll smoke Definitely. me too. You'll smoke me too bad on the bike. Well, unless we're sprinting, but we'll save that for the next yeah. podcast. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Eve. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, what time is it? Who woke me up? <laughs>